gonna work, but I know the camera guys are gonna be happy because I'm gonna have to stay right here. I won't be as tired this afternoon. Sometimes after I preach, I feel like I've ran a marathon. If I put one of those step counters on, I may have. I'll get as far out here as I can. And this could be one of those moments, America's Funniest Home Video moments. Cameras are going. If it happens, we'll be sure and get it submitted. If we win, we'll give the money to missions or something. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, our pastor is out of town, and this seemed like a great time, or, or it just kind of worked out. This is the very first day of our Missions Emphasis Month. Uh, my name is Jeff Robertson. I'm the Missions and Outreach Pastor. So we're going to talk about missions a little bit this morning, and for the next few weeks, uh, Pastor Carter will be back next week. So if, like I say, if you're a visitor, I'll encur- I encourage you to be back next week. Uh, there's a reason why he's the pastor, right? Uh, because he's the best preacher. Uh, so come back and hear him next week. Um, man, what a great-looking crowd. It's a really good-looking crowd. I preach a lot on Wednesday nights, and the crowd doesn't look like this. So this is, uh, this is great. The Wednesday night crowd looks good, too. It's not a looks thing. There's not as many of you. You look great. There's just not quite as many of you on Wednesday night. But uh, go ahead and be seated before I mess up any more. Let me go ahead and get going. I, t- I told the guy I was sitting by on the front row over there, it's the weirdest thing. Every time I'm getting ready to preach, it, and I, I, sometimes I wonder if the Lord does this kind of stuff just because he's got a sense of humor. I'm sitting over there, and I'm trying to kind of run through my mind. I'm totally blank. I can't remember. I don't have the foggiest idea what I'm even preaching on this morning. I mean, I'm, now I got it. I got my notes open. I know what we're preaching on. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but uh, there for a second, I just go blank. Uh, but I guess it's just the opportunity to reset. I heard a story about these two little boys. Sorry, little boys. Just mean, mischievous. And this community, this town that they lived in, if something bad happened, if there was uh, some mischief going on or, you know, a house getting egged or rolled or something like that, it was probably these two little boys, two little brothers. They were like eight and ten. Their parents tried everything with them. So they went to the preacher and talked to him about it. And he said, well, I'm going to see if I can help you with these boys. He said, I want you to bring them in, but one at a time. He said, bring the younger one in to me first. So they get the younger one, take him up to the church, and the preacher takes him in the auditorium, sits him down in the front row. He says, now look here. He said, do you know where God is? The little boy didn't say anything. He just kind of sat back. So he got a little more intense with him. He said, son, do you know where God is? The little boy still doesn't say anything. He's a little bit nervous about this situation, so he ramps it up a little more. He said, son, do you know where God is? By the time he jumps up and runs out. He runs all the way down the center aisle, out the back door, and runs all the way home. He gets home, runs in the house, goes in the bedroom, in the, be- in the, in the closet, and shuts the door. Well, his older brother sees him come in, so he follows him in there, goes in the closet, and sits down with him. He says, hey, man, what, what's going on? He said, you ain't going to believe this. He said, God's missing, and they're trying to pin it on us. <laughs> I want to thank uh, Brother Mark Powell and all of his hard work for the decorations, the setup for, to make this look authentic. Uh, Miss Carla and Miss Ashley and Miss Tiffany did a great job decorating the, the scenery, made it look very authentic. This is good stuff, isn't it? Amen. I wanted some puppets, but we couldn't work that out. I love puppets. I'm 44 years old, and I still dig them. Uh, who doesn't love Kermit the Frog, right? Uh, Real quick, before we get into the message, before we get started, 
I want you to just be thinking about a few things. Just consider something. We've, we've thought long and hard and prayed and researched and gone on mission trips. And this is not something that we just came up with last week. Something that we really, as a staff, uh, the pastor, uh, Dustin, myself, uh, counsel from, from, from other sources, uh, about what we wanted to do and the vision that we wanted to cast for you as a church during Missions Emphasis Month. You know, it's, it's more than we want you to just throw some money in the offering plate, which we do want you to do that, but uh, we want you to see it. That's what all the signs are about. What do you see? We want you to have the same vision. We want you to see what we see, to be excited about what we're excited about. And, and here's the thing, we've got to get on the same track. We've got to get on the same page. We've got to be headed in the same direction and pulling on the same end of the rope, whatever analogy you want to use. But, but here's what we have decided as a church that we want to do, that we want to see, and that's churches planted. Because when churches are planted, disciples are being made. And that is what God commanded us to do, was to make disciples in Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission. Uh, I, I think fresh water, new freshwater wells being dug are wonderful. I believe feeding hungry people is outstanding. Um, I, I, I'm for all of that humanitarian work. But here's the thing. When you plant churches, the humanitarian work is done out of those local churches. And it's way more effective, and it gets done at a way cheaper cost and more effectively. Um, we've seen this happen. We've seen it in action when we went to Nepal, uh, the, the orphans and the widows and the sex slaves that are being taken care of in these homes by these churches, uh, the, the way that the New Testament describes that it should be done. But the first thing that happened was these men were, 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 were won and discipled and trained to plant churches. Now, the way this works is for, for, it, takes, it costs $300 through uh, the Timothy Initiative to train one of these indigenous pastors to, to plant a church. And what a church is defined by with, with these guys, this is what they have to do when they graduate from the institute. You'll see some of these books around. These are the textbooks from the, from the institute. Your money goes to buy those textbooks, pay for these guys to travel to the training centers. If you've seen what all $300 does, it's, it's amazing. But, but what they have to do is they have to uh, start a church, baptize seven people from three different families. So in other words, they can't just win one family and baptize those three, and that counts as their seven. It's got to be seven people from three different families. You give me three families in a church, and, and a church plan at a start, you, you got a good start, you're going. So three different, uh, seven different people from three different families, uh, they must uh, train a Timothy. Or, or, or a Titus. These guys are, these church planters are called Timothys. And these Timothys, they recruit and begin to train a Titus. In other words, they're reproducing themselves. They're making disciples, and then their disciples are also making disciples. And this thing is uh, multiplies. Uh, and then uh, the last thing is they must take in either orphans or widows or sex slaves. That's where the humanitarian work comes in. And so everything's being covered by this program. Uh, that, that's through the Timothy Initiative. There's also uh, 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 Faith International Partners with Brother Ben Bounds, uh, who's planning churches. We, we do a lot of work with him, similar things. Um, our, our missionary to Tanzania, our missionary to Brazil, all of the missionaries that we currently support, their, their mission is to plant churches, 
put indigenous locals in those churches, then go somewhere else and plant another church and train uh, locals to do the same thing. Kind of like what Paul did in the New Testament. That's the New Testament model of missions. So uh, that's what our goal is over the next, by the year 2020, this is the big goal. If we put a big thermometer up here, this is what it would be. By the year 2020, it is our goal, our hope is to be involved and to, to plant 500 churches worldwide. Some of those will be here locally. Some of those will be in the United States that we'll have a part in. Some of those will be in, you know, foreign countries. But we want, as Temple Baptist Church, to have participation personally in the planting of 500 churches because that means that disciples are being made, those people are being reproduced, and then who knows what those 500 churches will reproduce. So as you pray over the next two or three weeks during Missions Emphasis Month, those are the, that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to accomplish. We want you to have a part in it. We want you to participate in it however the Lord would lead you to do. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll go there. That'll be our text. We're going to look at this entire chapter. A little background on 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. So we know that the things that he is discussing and talking about here, the people that he's writing, they're Christians. This is a church. These are saved people that Paul's dealing with here. So these things that are written in the book of 2 Corinthians can be directly applied to our lives where we live right now. And so Paul says to them in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, he says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us. And Lord, we thank you for an opportunity. We're grateful that we get a chance to participate in missions, Lord. We're thankful that you have entrusted us with the duty of spreading the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be worthy of that calling. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to all participate and be a part in the things that you would have us do. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I remember a few, I guess it was the early 90s, several years ago. A few years, you know, as you get older, a few years when you get to count them up, sometimes is a lot more than a few. But you remember those, those mosaic pictures, that were real popular for a while. And if you looked at them, they'd turn into like a 3D, it'd be just a bunch of little tiles on the picture, but when you looked at them at the right angle and focused on it, it'd you know, be an eagle picking up a fish out of the ocean or something, you know, or a, a, a clown jumping out on somebody scaring them. That's not funny. But <laughs> Everybody's freaking out over these clowns nowadays, aren't they? But those, 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 and what was crazy is people would see different things. Have you ever seen any of those pictures that you can look at them and you might see a young lady in the picture and I might look at the same picture and see an old lady. You ever seen one of those, those pictures that can be drawn kind of in two different ways? People have different views of things. They have different perspectives of the same thing. My son and I, we can argue, I mean endlessly, for hours we can debate the Michael Jordan-LeBron James argument. Um, I mean, anybody that thinks LeBron James is as good as Michael Jordan, you need to have, you know, you're just not well. I don't know what to tell you. But my son, because, and you know what dictates that? You know what determines that? It's age. It's where he is and where I am. Where I, am. Uh, I really am a Larry Bird fan, but that's a whole other subject. Um, and I'll debate Larry Bird with you if you want to, because I think he's better than Michael Jordan. I'm just kidding. But you see how these debates go? You see how you look at these things? You have different perspectives of the same thing? One of the things that, carry, that gets carried on a lot uh, amongst the staff is, uh, boy, I'm pinned in here, aren't I? I'm having a hard time. I'll get it figured out here in a minute. 
uh, amongst the staff is I'm the old guy. Believe it or not, I'm the old curmudgeon. Uh, I kind of like, I, I loved at Calvary. I sat over there as they sang that song this morning, thinking about being in Fairview Baptist Church with the red carpet and the red pews and Brother Lutrick in the pulpit. And it just brought back good memories to me. It's very nostalgic for me. And I like that stuff. I appreciate old things, especially the older I get. And so we have a, a lot of times we'll have conflict amongst the, the staff uh, about different views. You know what? I'm not right. No, I'm not wrong either. And they're not right and they're not wrong. We're both right and sometimes we're both wrong. We just have different perspective sometimes of the same thing. But you know what? Paul is talking to this church in Corinth right here. And he asked this church, and basically he asked them, what do you see? You know, as you walk around the church, over the next few weeks, and you see these pictures and these posters that we have up, and there'll probably be more because we like putting stuff like that up and printing things and making them. You know, we want you to get in it. And when you look at these pictures, you see those people in those pictures. What do you see? You know what's funny is we could probably survey 100 people out of this crowd. It'd be amazing the, the, the spectrum of answers we would get about what you see on the same picture. And Paul asked this question here. He asked this question of this church, what do you see? Well, in verse 6, look at verse 6 with me in this same chapter. It says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know what I think the first thing that Paul wanted this church to see in this passage right here is that we have someone to serve. The first thing that we need to see is that we have someone to serve. Now, in order for us to have an appropriate, or in order for us to be able to see that and to really appreciate that we have someone to serve, we've got to have an appropriate view of the Savior. You know, I, I, I appreciate the attempts of people to have a close relationship with the Lord, but He's not your homeboy. He's not the man upstairs. He's not your pal. And when we have an appropriate view of the Savior, what we think about in Colossians chapter 1, how it tells us of the eternality of Jesus, how that he's always been. He told his disciples that before Abraham, I was. There's never been a time throughout eternity that there wasn't a Jesus. Jesus wasn't created. He's always been. We look at Romans, or in Revelations chapter 4, where it discusses the throne of Jesus. The throne of Jesus there in heaven with God himself. In 1 John chapter 5, it talks about the equality of Jesus with God. Romans chapter 1, we see his role in creation. All through the scripture, from the, from the front cover to the back cover of your, of your Bible, is all pointing to Jesus. We see Isaac as a type of Christ and a sacrificial lamb. We see Joseph as a type of Christ, as a savior for the people. We see Moses as a type of Christ, as a redeemer. We see Joshua as a type of Christ, as the leader that he was. David as the king. Jonah was a type of Christ as he came out of that belly of the whale after three days. There are 353 Old Testament prophecies of what Jesus would do. All of which have been fulfilled except for the ones that will be fulfilled in the last days. Jesus is not just some character. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a good teacher. You see, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped off of his throne and he adorned the robes of human flesh. And he came to earth and was born in a filthy barn like an animal. He was laid in, a, in an animal's trough 
for a crib. First three years of his life, he's on the run from a genocidal maniac. He spends the bulk of his adult life living hand-to-mouth, homeless. Living with the dregs of society, the worst people, the people that nobody wanted to be around, the people that nobody wanted to have anything to do with. This is who the Son of God spent his time with. This is who he left heaven to come to earth for. He offered himself as a Messiah and a kingdom to the people that he loved, and they rejected him. He subjected himself to the most horrific death ever known to man. The beatings that he took from the Roman soldiers. They nailed him to a cross and hung him in open shame. And the worst part about that is from the very first lie that Eve told in the garden to the very last sin that will be committed before Jesus raptures us out of here. All of those sins were placed upon Jesus as he hung on that cross. Every murder, every lie, every rape, every monster that inappropriately treated a child, every adulterous affair, every cheat, every lie, every theft, every sin that has ever been committed by man from the beginning of time to the end was all placed upon Jesus. He bore the sins of this world. He was buried on the third day, he gloriously arose again. And the great thing is, he's coming again someday to rapture us from the sin-cursed world. This is the Savior that we serve. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9-11, through 11, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that, at, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You know, when we, get an act, when we get an appropriate view of the Savior, we'll see someone to serve. Now, let me tell you what happens when you get an appropriate view of the Savior. It will cause you to have an accurate view of yourself. In verse 5, it says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants. Everybody say that word with me. Servants for Jesus' sake. You know... It's amazing the humanistic self-promotion that our world is just inundated with today. I'm studying behavioral science at Athens State University. And in all of the psychology classes and even the sociology classes, everything they talk about is, is me and how important we are as individuals. And, and I understand that a good self-image is important for mental stability. I get all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person that lives, well, similar to how in the 16th century they believed in a, a geocentric uh, solar system. They believed that everything revolved around the earth. Well, people today have a meocentric solar system. They think everything revolves around you. And it's not that, that you view yourself as a creation of God that he loved and died for and is important. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the uh, unabashed self-promotion. I read an article about a guy this, this week, and, and I had it, was going to bring it in here and read some of it, but, but it's just crazy the things that he talked about, these eight different things to love yourself more. I don't know who he's dealing with, but I don't really have a whole lot of problem with that. One of the things, he said, stand in front of the mirror and then reaffirm yourself. I'm just supposed to stand in front of the mirror and tell myself how great I am? 
Now, I could probably do that, but I'd feel silly about it. There were some of the other things in there. There were eight different things. One of the things was write yourself a love letter. What am I really going to say to myself that I haven't already said? (laughs) I promise. And I'll get the article. If anybody wants to see it, I will validate this. This is not a preacher story. If you've been in church very long, you've heard preachers tell stories that kind of made you go, he made that up. That's not true. (laughs) But I'm not making this up. One of the things it said to do was to give yourself a hug. Have you ever hugged yourself? I I never have. (laughs) just weird stuff but that's our society today and the thing about it is it's all so opposed to what the scripture teaches us the bible teaches that we should each esteem others better than ourselves the bible teaches us that if we will humble ourselves that god will exalt us the bible tells us that the meek shall inherit the earth these things are all opposed to what the bible tells us But you see, when we have an appropriate view of the Savior, when when we see Him as the Son of God that left heaven and humbled Himself and came to earth and died and took our place and paid our sin debt for us, then we can have an accurate view of ourselves, and that is the role of a servant. You know, in the Old Testament, there's there's a great story. It's a great Great illustration, but it's a true thing that took place. A poverty-stricken Jew who was in debt to someone that couldn't pay their debt could go to them and become their servant. And what that would require is for six years, they become this person's slave, and at the end of the six years, no matter what it was, their debt's paid. It's clear. Now, can I get all of my debt paid off? Or would it just, I'd have to work six years for MasterCard and six years for my, never, I was just thinking six years wouldn't be that bad if I could get it all paid off. But. So they would go to work for these people. And in six years, now there were laws about how you treated them. You had to treat them well. Uh, you know, you had to be just to them. Um, and, and what would happen? Exodus 21, verses 2 through 6, describes an unusual option for a person at the end of the six years. A a lot of times because the servant was treated well and they liked their accommodations and they had grown to love their master and he had treated them well and things went good for them, they would voluntarily stay as a slave. And he would become what is known as a bond slave. Now, here's the thing about becoming a bond slave. When you do this, you voluntarily relinquish all of your rights, all of your views, all of your opinions, all of your position in society. You willingly give all of that up. It's a lifetime commitment, an irreversible decision. They would take this person and they would put them up against a a doorpost or a post. They would take a piece of wood and drive it through their ear. And when they pierced that ear, it would scar them so that anybody could see them and recognize that this person is a bond slave. 1 Corinthians 6.19 tells us that you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 7.22 says, Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. You see, there came a time in our life that we voluntarily surrendered ourselves to a savior the problem is we begin to see things in the wrong way we begin to have the 
an incorrect perspective of how this thing is. And we don't view God as he should be. We don't keep him in his appropriate place. And as a result, Romans chapter 1 talks about a scenario where you don't view God as God. And we have an elevated view of ourselves. And in the reduction of God and the elevation of ourselves, we don't see someone to serve. Because all we do is serve ourselves. Well, in this passage, as Paul is talking to this church at Corinth, not only do we see someone to serve, but verses 3 and 4 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. As we stood on the, the banks of the Bagmati River, the Hindu temples across this river, and on the other side of the river, there are several platforms. And I think you guys have seen the videos. You've heard me talk about it. And these people would bring their loved ones, their deceased loved ones down. It's, it's, it's hard to describe. It's hard to see. Um, they, they would bring their deceased loved ones down and they would lay them on these, these steps down to this river. And they would begin to wash them off and clean them up for, for death, for the next life. And they actually had this, this uh, some type of juice or something that they would pour in their mouth. They're, they're, now, think about it. Those of you that have lost a loved one recently, think about having to do this. Take them down in public to a river and wash them in front of everybody, people everywhere, pouring something in their mouth, cleaning them up, dressing them up in this, these fancy robes. And, and then you take them over and you set them on this platform that's covered with wood and you pile wood up on top of them. And they set them on fire and cremate them right there. And when they're done cremating them, they just rake the remains and the ashes and the, the wood off into that Bagmati River. As we walked up and down the banks, we seen these, these uh, Hindu priests and having these little ceremonies and people throwing various things into the river, food and things of, 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 of sacrifice. And I looked around these people, and you just, I can't even describe to you the smell. It just makes your throat thick. And as I looked at these people, the only thing that I can think of that would cause people to do that is what it says there in verse 4, in whom the God of this world, that's little g, and the God of this world is Satan because the Bible tells us that he is the ruler of this world. And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. What a terrible thing to have your minds blinded. As we look at the pictures around, I hope you'll take time to look at some of those. I look at some of the pictures, and I picked pictures for me personally as I looked at them that, that, that spoke to me. Things that I looked at the picture, and I know in my heart that I didn't see the right thing. When I look at a picture of some Syrian terrorists, or some Syrian refugees, I wonder which one of those has got a bomb strapped to them. Now be honest, don't, don't get pious with me. You know, we think about, uh, uh, we see a person in, in Muslim garb, garb with those ladies with their, with their uh, I forget what those things are called, their, their outfits that they wear, their faces are covered. And I automatically think, has that lady got a bomb strapped to her? That's what I think when I see that. When I see these guys with their turbans on, I have bad feelings about them. And at times, my, my flesh and in anger, I think, why don't we just go drop a bomb on them and kill them all? Let's just wipe the whole Middle East out. 
Really? They have souls. And when they die without the Lord, they go to hell and stay there for eternity. I look at some of the pictures on the wall. There's a particular picture of some inner city people that are riding, and we get frustrated with some of that, some of that, uh, the issues that our country is dealing with and facing today, some of the turmoil that we, we struggle with. We have very, very strong opinions about those things and some of the images that we see on the news. But you know what? You know what those people need? If they die without the knowledge of Jesus, if they die without putting their trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they go to hell and stay for eternity, and they have a soul. And those of us who are saved, which I would assume is the bulk of the people sitting in this room, we've been entrusted with that job to carry the gospel to those people. And Paul says here, he says, what do you see? He wants us to see a world that is dying and lost and on their way to hell. I tell you this morning, when I ask you the question, what do you see? I hope you see someone to save. One of my favorite things, I love biographies. When I was a kid, I read a biography about a guy named David Livingston. And David Livingston traveled to Africa as a missionary the first time. This, we're talking about the mid-1800s here. And David Livingston had a, had a heart and a burden for the inner part of Africa. He traveled to places, new, most of the places that Dr. Livingston traveled, he was the only white person that these Africans had ever seen. They, didn't, they were totally confused by him. They'd never seen anybody like him. He had a burden for these people. He, when he first arrived to Africa, he was mauled by a lion. I'm gone right then. I'm just telling you. I'm out. Okay? After several years, he returned home to a big hero's welcome. Man, he goes back to England. They celebrate, have parades, have big meetings, preachers, politicians, uh, important people want to meet him and hear about Africa, and they're so proud of him. And then he tells them he's going back, and they're not crazy about that, but he goes back and had some type of falling out with his support, and he is literally in the inner continent of Africa with no support. It's him and the converts that he has won from the first trip and Jesus. That's it. And he stays there for years and years, and they finally they send a guy named Henry Morton Stanley to find him. And you've heard the, the famous saying, Dr. Livingston, I presume. Because when he met Dr. Livingston in the inner part of Africa, there's uh, a good chance that this white guy is probably Dr. Livingston because he was the only one there. And so he, he meets him, and he has two things that he tries to accomplish. First of all, he went there just to determine if he were alive. And the second thing was he went there to try to convince him to come back home. He said, there's people that love you and care about you, and they want you to come home. You're a hero back home, and we want you to come back there. He responded with, God has called me to Africa, and I'm staying here. Never went home. Several months later, not too long after Mr. Stanley's visit, some of his converts came into his room where he was to, to wake him up or you know, to see if he's ready to go for the day, and they found him kneeling beside his bed in prayer. He had passed away in that spot. Well, they took him and they felt like it was only right that they carry his body all the way back to the coast and have him shipped back to Africa for, or back to England for burial. But before they did, they cut him open and removed his heart and buried it in Africa because that's where his heart was. C.T. Studd was a 
another guy in England. Conver- at conversion, he's a really wealthy businessman, really family business, family money, very wealthy people. And he gave it all up and decided he was going to go to China as a missionary. And as a result of his decision to go to China, his family really, they, they freak. They ride him out of the will. They won't help him financially. He has no help. He goes all on his own to China, spends years in China. After the years he spent in China, he came home. He decided to go to India. So he leaves England, goes to India, spends several years in India. Has a great effect on those people there. He comes back home, back to England. At this time, he's 50 years old. Most people be thinking about retirement, or he might take some church there in England and coast it on out to the end because he's done his part. No, at 50 years old, he loads up in the 1800s. Now, you've got to keep in mind, these guys I'm talking about here, they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have Skype, they didn't come home on a jet every two years for a year furlough. When they went, they stayed years and years and years. They were fortunate if they got to come home, you know, every five, six, eight years. So he comes back home for the third time and decides he's going to Africa at 50 years old. He goes to Africa and spends the next 20 years there. And dies there at 70 years old. But in that last 20 years of his life, he, he establishes and starts the worldwide evangelist, evangelism crusade and brought thousands to Christ in the continent of Africa and Sudan. John Patton, last one I'll tell you about this guy, John Patton. He pastored a church in Glasgow, Scotland. Again, 1800s. And he felt burdened for the cannibals of the New Hebrides Islands. Now, 20 years earlier, they'd sent two missionaries there, and these two missionaries were both cannibalized. So it kind of became a closed area. (laughs) Nobody wanted to go where they were eating people, right? But this guy did. John Patton decided that he was going there, and he was taking his wife, and at 33 years old, they load up, and they go to be missionaries to the cannibals. What do you think, Joshua? About How old are you? 29, you're about his age. You ready to go? What do you think, Lacey? You want to go to the cannibals? I'm with you. Trust me. This guy, this professor that he had, Professor Dixon, it said in the the book, says, you know, when you go there, there's a great chance that they're going to eat you. He said, Professor Dixon, you're pretty old. And he said, you're probably going to die soon. And when you do, the worms are going to eat you. So what difference does it make if the worms eat you and the cannibals eat me? That's where I feel like God wants me to go. So he and his wife go to this island and literally win the entire island. Now, what sets these men apart? What makes David Livingston and C.T. Studd and John Patton, what makes these men different? I think it's Jude 22 and 23. It says, And some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments that are spotted by the flesh. Some make a difference. Some see it. They understand it. When they see it, when they look at people, they see a lost and dying soul that needs Jesus. You know, I love vacations. Our preacher's on vacation right now. I'm a big fan of them. Back in the first part of September, I went on vacation to my... 
I've really killed two birds with one stone. Now, my wife's not in this service. She'll be in the next one. And I'm not going to tell it exactly like this. So you guys help me keep this a secret. Here's what I do. I plan up a trip to my mother-in-law's in Arlington at the same time that Alabama's playing USC at Cowboy Stadium. Literally 10 minutes from my mother-in-law's house. That's a pretty good idea, isn't it? So we go there. Now, we probably spent at least $300 on gas. I spent $200 per ticket, and there was only one row behind us. They were the second worst seats in, in Texas Stadium, and they were $200 a ticket. I don't, I don't even want to tell you how many of us went. It's sickening. I have no idea how much we spent on food because, you know, you're eating out, you're grilling. My mother-in-law's got a swimming pool, and we just, you know, had a big time. Great vacation. I love vacations. I plan on taking some more. It's one of my favorite things. We go to the game. I buy an $8 hot dog. Now, I'm going to tell you it's a good hot dog. But it was $8. That's a lot for a hot dog, isn't it? But it was, I'm telling you, it was, it was a good hot dog. I would buy another one. That's how good it was. I have every intention of going to some more Alabama games and spending that same kind of money, doing those same kind of things. There's nothing wrong with that. I just have this feeling that there'll come a day that when I'm standing before the Lord alongside John Patton and C.T. Studd and David Livingston, I'm going to wish I'd have went to a few less football games. I'm going to wish I would have bought a few less $8 hot dogs. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with vacations. I'm going on more. I think your family needs them. I think you need the time away. But I think sometimes our priorities get out of whack. And when we don't look and see and realize and really have a grasp of the fact that people that die without Christ, they go to hell and they stay there for eternity. I think there's something else we can see here from this verse. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. It says, which is your reasonable service. God's not asking you to do anything above and beyond. He's asking you to do what, just what is reasonable. And what does Paul base this on? He bases it upon the mercies of God. He bases it upon the fact that each and every one of us deserve to die and go to hell because of God's mercy that has been withheld from us. In this passage, verse, verses 8 through 12, it says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Listen, I, I, there's no question, there's no doubt. In a crowd this big, there are people in here this morning that you are genuinely troubled. This verse said, says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Verse 10 says, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. For we which live are already delivered into death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Verses 16 and 17 says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. Listen to what he said in verse 17. For our light affliction. Now, let's, let's just pause here for just a second. 
This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Corinth. At this particular time, apostles are already being martyred. Stephen's been stoned to death. James has already been thrown off of a, of a balcony and beat to death with clubs. These are the apostles, okay? These are the ones we know about. It was a regular occurrence for them to drag them down the cobblestone streets of Rome behind chariots to burn them at the stakes. These are the way that Christians are being treated at this particular time. And Paul calls it a light affliction. He says, For our light affliction is which but for a moment worketh in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I think the third thing that Paul is discussing here, what do I see? The third thing that we should see here in this is someone for whom to suffer. There's no question that some of you in here this, this morning, you're suffering. You're struggling. You're dealing with family issues. You're dealing with illnesses. Uh, I read some articles about a little girl in, this, in our church. I read an article about her yesterday that, that just broke my heart. The struggles that this little girl goes through day by day. Not to mention her mother and her, her caregivers and her family that, that take care of her. There's no doubt it's a struggle and it's difficult. And we go through hard times. In a church this size, there is every possible scenario you can think of of heartache, and heartbreak and disappointment in this congregation. I understand that. But if we get a good perspective of this thing, and we begin to see it from a different angle than maybe what we look at it sometimes, and we can see someone for whom to suffer. Last story about a guy, and I'll be done. Got him, Adoniram Judson. He surrendered. He was saved. He surrendered to the to the mission field and decided that he was going to Burma. They begged him not to go to Burma. Burma was a very troubled place at the time. Lots of war and rebellion and uh, fighting. Uh, just, just a terrible place and extremely close to any type of religious freedom or Christianity. But this is where he felt like the Lord wanted him to go. So he gets his support together and he's supported completely by the congregational denomination and he boards a ship in Boston. Now, as he stands in his biography, as he describes his departure from the, from the port there in Boston, he describes this scene similar to a funeral or to a death. He leaves there that morning with never thinking that he'll see his family on this side of heaven again, that he'll go to Burma and he'll stay there the rest of his life and never come back home. That's what a missionary did then. So he and his new bride board this ship. Can you imagine crossing the Atlantic in the early 1800s in a ship? Just the smell. Just the smell would be enough for me. Both got sick on the way, he and his wife. On the way, he begins to do some studying, and he comes to the realization that he doesn't align with the congregational denomination and he aligns with the Baptist denomination, and when he gets there, he has a, a guy there in Burma baptize him scripturally by immersion and converts to Baptist. Immediately, all of his support's dropped by the Congregationalists. So now, he's in Burma, a foreign country, very much opposed to any Westerners because Burma is in huge conflict with England. It doesn't matter that he's from America. He, they view him all the same. 
So he's not going to get any help from the locals, from the indigenous people there. As things begin to, to get worse for him and for their situation, a war breaks out between Burma and, and the United Kingdom or England, and they put him in jail. So here he is. He has a wife, a new baby. He's in a Burmese prison for 20 months while she tries to take care of herself, struggling with cholera, malaria, dysentery, every possible third world disease you can think of. They both have it. He's in prison in Burmese. Now, he spent 38 years in Burma. He married two wives and seven of his 13 children in Burma. What possibly causes someone to withstand that? Today, there are over 4,000 Baptist congregations that can be traced back to Judson's ministry. Over a half a million believers are represented in those congregations today, and it can be traced back to his work. But how can a person possibly suffer through those kind of things? I think it's answered in verse 18. He said, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, when we look through the lens of, lenses of eternal perspective, we no longer see self. We no longer see promotion of our own comforts and desires. We see a Savior that died for us. And we see someone that's worthy to serve. When we look through the eternal lenses and we see the perspective that God wants us to have, we don't see people that we hate and people that we dislike and people that have different views. We see people that have a soul and when they die without Christ, they go to hell for eternity. And when we look at our own struggles and our own sufferings and we look at them through the lenses of eternity, from that perspective, we see that it's worth it. It's worth it because of who we suffer for. And it's worth it because our suffering is, but, is temporary. This light affliction is but for a moment. Listen, I'm not asking this morning that everybody run down here and, and surrender the mission field. But there's somebody in this congregation this morning that God's been dealing with you about doing something with your life besides being an ambulance driver or a, or a car salesman or a factory worker. God wants you to do something in your life that will have an effect on eternity. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. Those are all great things, admirable positions. But there's, and, and we need those things. Some of you keep doing that because if I, if I have an accident, I want an ambulance driver to be able to come get me. I prefer that he be a Christian so he can pray for me on the way to the hospital. But some of you, need to go to Burma. God wants some of you in here to load up and go to Nepal. Because how shall they hear without a preacher? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, when these people hear the truth, they'll believe it. Those blinders will be removed from them when they're exposed to the truth. There are some of you in here that God wants to use you for something really big, something more than just coming and sitting here week after week after week. 
He's got something special for you. Some of you, some of you, he wants you to keep doing exactly what you're doing. You have a good relationship, you give to missions, you're soul conscious, and God bless you. Keep doing it. But some of you, he wants you to take a class at the Temple Baptist Institute and learn how to take your Bible and share the gospel with somebody. Learn how to be able to talk to your neighbor or your relative or your coworker and be able to tell them exactly what it is that Jesus did for you and how you know that you're on your way to heaven and here's how I know. Guys, that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to be able to make disciples right here. And all of you, I'm certain, God would want you somehow to participate in funding these programs. Now, we can all do different amounts and different levels and different things, and you know what that is. All I want you to do is to, to, to see it. What do you see this morning? Do you see things from an eternal perspective? Every head bowed, and every, every, head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around. The musicians will come. Just stay with me for just a few minutes. There'll be altar workers down here if you need them. If you're unsure of what your eternal destination is this morning, there are folks down here who can help you with that. They can help you to secure and know for sure that you're on your way to heaven when you die. But for those of you that are saved and you're on your way to heaven this morning, I just want to ask you a question. How many of you would say, you know what? I want a better eternal perspective. I want to see things the way God wants me to see them. Would you raise your hand if you'd say, hey, that's me. I 